everybody to the best podcast in the world. Welcome to the Strength and Skills podcast. My name is Nick Tibusek and with me is my most favorite co-host, Rado, the boss, Bossage. Yo, what's up? <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, we're going to have a little nice topic of the day, which I like to introduce with some Mythbusters! <laughs> Today's topic is about some squat myths. As um, we experienced a lot of people having a lot of thoughts about uh, squats, which are, when you look at them, probably most of the time a little bit difficult because you can see them from different views. Let's jump into this and I would like to hear your opinion about the classic myth back squats are not calisthenics that I don't Yeah, sure. I know. I mean, it's probably also important to note that um, also us, we were in that situation, you know, so we know from first-hand experience um, how difficult it can be to fight these myths. Yes. Um, and I've been one of those, you know, like thinking um, as soon as you add weight to anything, it automatically isn't calisthenics anymore and it's just weight training, you know? Yeah. And that's something that you want to stray away from, especially if you're a beginner, you know, you just like this idea of calisthenics being equipment free and you not needing anything to, you know, work out, just your body weight. And that's basically the, the rawest definition of calisthenics. Um, But yeah, when you look at uh, the basic movements of calisthenics, those are the patterns that, you know, uh, are basic in any strength sport, like vertical pull, vertical push, and you have the same for horizontal movements, and then again, uh, the lower body movements, and then the squat is just a basic movement pattern, you know, that you can do with your own body weight. Um, so I don't see why um, a squat, even when you add loads to it, shouldn't be part of calisthenics, you know? I'm completely with you. Um, looking at it from a from a health um, side and from a how does it really make make sense for training? Um, it makes absolutely sense to load up a squat, and um, especially in calisthenics, most people are like, okay, but when we do that, we're going to do some pistol squats, and then you're going to have some people. I, I've I've seen that by myself. Um, a friend of mine did in a in a calisthenics competition. I think he it was like. 110 person squats on one leg where does that lead <laughs> you know do you know how much time that took from the competition to <laughs> to have i mean you know when you look at that how should that guy train in the end yeah doing hundreds of reps of that i mean everybody who's into training um and is training legs when let, let's say you do air squats Where does that lead you? Like to do 1,000 reps in a row for what? I mean, that's not getting you stronger in any case. That's just not the case at that point. And um, we really have to think of, okay, how can we get actually stronger? And in the end, it usually is to make an exercise harder. And that always brings in uh, another progression When you start off with maybe some pike push-ups, then you put up the feet, 
um, put a, put in more range of motion, and then one time you will come up to the handstand push-ups. But even the handstand push-ups, one day when you did all the handstand push-ups and the 90-degree handstand push-ups and all the handstand push-ups, there will come the time when you just have to put weight on it to make it even harder because that's it. And um, when we look at the legs, this is mostly the problem that we just come to the point where we have to load the exercise up so much earlier. And this is actually why we just need to switch the view on that, from my opinion, um, and put some weight on this classic air squat. Of course, that brings some stuff in there that you have to relearn probably the technique, right? because from that point on, you may have to think of some more stuff like, like maybe the knee cave and the butt ring stuff. We're going to talk about that later on. Um, <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> this is actually the, 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 the problem that we have at that point that we, 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 of course, we have to relearn that. And the, um, the risk of injury probably gets higher as most people get pretty strong, pretty, pretty, yeah, yeah pretty fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, to reach a 100 kg squat is something that you can actually reach within half a year or something. And But 100 kg is 100 kg, you know. I've seen people going from, from 80 kg to, I think it was 211. How much time did it take him? One year? Yeah, I think so. Do you remember that? I think it was something like that. And that, yeah. that's some stuff. When you look at that, people can reach that when they have the potential for it, you know, and um, looking at that, this is where the actual danger comes because most people in calisthenics just don't like to have someone telling them what to do. I, I don't know if you are like everyone like that and maybe you are one who likes to, to get help from others and some people just don't like it. And um, of course, that's, that's a character thing. Maybe that's, that's you just don't like it that's okay in the end um but at that point i would actually recommend everybody to have someone to get, get that movement learned the right way because it's it can get you in trouble but for me there is when you look at at um squats there's no way to 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 load up that movement in a better way than a back squat in my opinion because Yes, you could do a front squat or something, but in the end, that's a loaded squat to me. Um, and some people may go better with a with a back squat. Some may go uh, better with a front squat, but in the end, to me, that's the the. It's it's, it's like I have no words for that. It's there is yeah. no other solution to me. Yeah. I think um, with calisthenics, the thing is that we have so many different directions you can go in and the whole field of calisthenics isn't quite uniquely defined in one you know definition you have freestyle you have weighted calisthenics you have sets and reps uh, but all of them kind of tried to separate themselves uh, from powerlifting and weight training in general and that's i guess why people don't quite like um you know kind of taking up movement patterns and movements in general from those cultures because yeah, yeah. they want to be unique in a way. So usually a back squat is, you know, 
related to powerlifting. We want to separate ourselves from that. And that's because of back sweat. That's, that's the reason why back sweat isn't um, calisthenics, you know? Uh, but this logic doesn't really make sense uh, because what, what do you do with the pistol squat that you add weight to? Is that also not calisthenics anymore? You know, you have to kind of ask yourself a question. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, I think this, um, this trial of trying to get rid of, you know, and be separated from the other culture and trying to be unique. And that's kind of the reason I would say the main reason why people still don't kind of vibe with the backs work. Yes. You know? I think I have so unique movements in there which are not used by any other sport, it's okay to have one that is also used by another sport. I mean, when you look at it, pretty much every sport is doing a squatting pattern when it comes to strength training. And calisthenics is kind of a strength training. It's just one part of all the strength training. Olympic weightlifting is strength training. Powerlifting is strength training. Bodybuilding is kind of strength training. I would pack it all into this big package of, of actually strength training. So it's absolutely okay to have some overlapping stuff. I mean, why, why should, should someone not be allowed to do a pull-up? Because he's doing powerlifting or bodybuilding or weightlifting. Now, you, that, that's not your sport. You're not allowed to do that. Nobody would come to that idea. But why are we restricting ourselves into that? That, oh, that's not our sport. That's just not true. It's just our movement, which is an air squat, which is a classic bodyweight exercise, which I outgrowed, and now I'm loading it up. That's it. And this is the best way. And, and actually, a barbell is the most smartest way. It, of course, you could use a sand sack or maybe a kettlebell holding in front of you, but that's just... When you have one piece of equipment like the barbell, that's actually in the end the stuff that you can load the best way. I mean, you can put weight plates on the side. I mean, everyone who did front squats with the with, with kettlebells, like starting off with the goblet squats and then having maybe like two uh, kettlebells there, you will come to the point where this is just not possible to hold anymore. And we have, of course, the issue most... In most cases, people just don't have these big kettlebells. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest kettlebell that I probably know right now is from Rook, um, which is at 92 kg. Well, take two of them. I would see that. I, I really would like to see that. And how do you get them here? <laughs> so to me, that's definitely a myth we need to get rid of. Absolutely. How do you see that? Yeah, like... Just as I said, you know, the, the, these different directions in calisthenics, sure, each one of us has a different definition for himself, what calisthenics is for you. Um, for someone, it might be just increasing complexity and basic movements, you know, and progressing from a near squat to a pistol squat to a dragon squat, you know. For us, it's the progression in weight. Um, I, I just think it's important to acknowledge that for people who seek to progress in complexity and staying with bodyweight stuff, they shouldn't expect crazy strength increases, you know, or hypertrophy increases. Sure, your legs will grow to a certain extent, but sooner or later, there will happen a point where this response will simply not be the same anymore. 
and you'll need this external load uh, to further force the system to adapt and actually grow. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely agree. Let's go to the next one. I think that's that's also something, it also comes with the squats. So today is a myth busting about squats. And um, that's the classic one. Children are showing us how to squat and you need at least squat like an Olympic weightlifter from China and all squats have to be done as the grass. How do you think about it? Yeah, it's the classic story, and you know? um, also been one of the one of those people who was a big, big proponent of, mm-hmm. you know, look at the example of the kid sitting down deep in a squat. You're a miserable human being if you're not able to do the same, you know. So, no, 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 that's that's not our, not right. You know, you just can't compare these two scenarios. You know, a kid and a grown-up person with everything that's happening in his or her life and all the other stuff that happened in the past. Um, so yeah, I don't agree that everyone needs to uh, go as grass. Um, how you squat your individual style should be individual. It depends on a lot of factors. It depends on how you're built, uh, what your possibilities are, uh, what your injury past is, you know? Um, and when you consider all of these things, um, that's ultimately what leads to this individual squat. Um, it's not like uh, people who don't squat as the grass um, are not getting the same benefit out of the squat like the people who are. And you also have to uh, look at the question um, of being sport-specific, you know? Obviously, only the weightlifters need to do that because uh, when you look at the snatch and the clean and jerk, they have to be um, conditioned in those positions, you know, because... If they were not, they simply wouldn't be able to go high in loads uh, on those two uh, lifts, you know? So they use this technique to condition themselves, strengthen the positions, and then be able to, you know, have an easier time once yeah. they come up beneath the barbell. Uh, for power lifters or for street lifters, for example, uh, the rule book is clear. You know, you just have to clear uh, the hip crease below the knee cre- below the knee level, and you're good to go. Uh, why would you force yourself to go any deeper and make the squat necessarily harder uh, if you don't have to, you know? You would just limit yourself and the amount of load you could lift. If your goal is to lift the highest amount of total, the highest total, you know, the highest amount of load, then use this as an advantage and don't necessarily go as the grass, just go below the, um, have the hip breeze go below the knee and uh, lift more weight in that way. That's Mm -hmm. it. So it's kind of a, two-sided story, you know, both the individual side of things, how you're built and what are your possibilities. And then secondly, looking at uh, the sport specific topic, you know, what your sport actually requires you to do. Yeah. I think that's also a very important one that um, I would like to bring up there um, that if you have the possibility to go deeper than required for your maybe sport or competition or something. Maybe you are not training for a competition um, or you are training for a competition and still want to be the one that, that squats as, as low as possible. I mean, this possible needs to be um, explained a little bit because at that point you very often have people like, yeah, but that's humanly possible. 
You know, I, I've, I've <laughs> when you look at at me, um, I can't just can't bring my butt down to the floor because <laughs> my my femur is shorter than the other part of my leg. That bone is just longer. So how should I reach the floor? I can't. But I know people whose femur is long enough to touch the floor. So they can really go as the grass. And for me, I would have to break my leg to do that because it's just not possible. I mean, you have here the femur up here is the, is the hip, you know, and then you go down. And if this one here is longer, you just can't go lower than that, you know. But if this one here is longer, yes, of course you can touch the floor. Got me? And that that's something. That, that's just one example of how how this is really depending on your biomechanics in the end, how low you can actually go. Of course, there comes in some more stuff. Yeah, if you have the 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 baddest butt wing ever being in the lowest position, I don't think that's the best way to do squats all the time. And we are coming back to the butt wing later on. This is also a topic that, which is to see from different views. But in the end, I think the, the, the best depth for a squat is the one that you can actually really control and have a good stability in there from all the stuff that's involved there, your ankles, your knees, your hips, your spine, everything should be involved into, into this consideration, you know, and that's, that's the best step for you in the end. And if there is an issue that you don't know how to get there, get yourself some help. I mean, there are experts in the world who can actually help you with that. So um, I think that, that that's just my, my, my uh, two cents about, about ATG squatting. Let's let's stay in that thing. Let's talk about the low bar squat, the power lifter squat. How do you think of that? Just low bar. Do as wide of a stance as possible. Squat to ninety degrees, and you're good to go. Like this classic power lifter picture. I don't know why the low bar squat is so demonized. Um, in a sense, like it's cheating. You know, some people think like. If you uh, lift low bar, it's easier to do so when, in fact, it's not necessarily the case, you know. I know a lot of people who are high bar dominant and are able to lift more weight um, in the high bar position rather, rather than uh, the low bar one. Um, yeah, this is just another myth. Um, the low bar position is just, it's just a different position of the barbell on your back. And this is something that also depends on your anthropometry and your biomechanics. And it's something that you can find out along the way. You know, it's not like it's just these, it's not that these bar positions on your back are directly related to a certain sport. You know, weightlifters also use the low bar positions. High, high bar position is also used by powerlifters. You know? So I don't see. Uh, the reason why um, this is specifically, you know, still a myth and it's still something that people kind of believe in. What's your take on it? Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's, 
Uh, the, the next thing with that is um, everybody, I think that, that that's coming with one topic that we also have in there that you have to stay as upright as possible and good mornings are bad. And um, um, to, to tackle that in one shot, in the end, this also very much depends on how you are built. Mm -hmm. um, if your leg length and your torso length require the lower position because otherwise you would have such crazy physics working on your spine then it's just just a smart decision to go lower because it will not force you into into some stuff that may some stuff be overworked in your back so the lower can also be a health um decision in the end you know when when as an example I can squat high bar. I'm a better low bar squatter. I'm not completely low bar. Let's say it's a semi low bar squat. But when when I just put the, the bar like two centimeters higher, my upper back tends to break. <laughs> it's, it's not like real break, but... Um, I, I can't hold the tension as good as when it's two centimeters lower. And in the end, to me, that forces, if I always do high bar squats, most of the time, I, I in the end, I end up after two blocks or something with actually back pain, which is my back really being overworked at that point. So why should I do that? If I can do it like, okay, once a week low bar, once a week high bar. And can do both parts of the squatting. One is a little bit more hip dominant. The other one is a little bit more knee dominant. And I can have best from both worlds. Um, this, this doesn't change anything as that I'm now a complete power lifter or something. It just gives me the best from all the worlds. And making me the strongest version of myself that I can actually be. And it's still a squat pattern. The, the issue with that is that a lot of people have in mind, yeah, good morning, squat is what a low bar squat is. And that's just not the case. We have to bring that in here. For some people, the best way to squat is this kind of good morning squat. This really depends on your biomechanics at that point. Really, really, if, if you just have shitty um, biomechanics, then it is the only way that you can squat. And if you want to do the squat that way, then uh, if, you, if you want to do the, a sport that requires a squat, then you have to do it that way. There is no other way. And in powerlifting, as an example, yes, you know, um, you have people who have to squat for the competition. So when their biomechanics are built like that, they have no other solution than squatting like that if they want to do their sport. And that's exactly the same thing that we have in calisthenics. Um, if your biomechanics are like, built like that, you have to do it that way. What can you do? You are like that. You can't change that. There's no way to, to go back to, to the shop and say, oh, I need another body. 
this one is not fitting my uh, goals. <laughs> we can't do that yet. <laughs> I've seen actually, I've seen uh, a good one on Netflix. They were able to do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, to, to go into that, there's, there's, it's just depending on how, how you're built. So low bar is not bad. And low bar is not just for powerlifters. Low bar is for those who need it. That's it. That's the end. <laughs> Let's come up with the next one because I love that myth so much. Equipment is cheating. You need to be raw as fuck. You need to be naked in the woods, squatting trees, doing your pull-ups without chalk on, on a tree. <laughs> And uh, eating only animals and maybe some stuff that you find in the forest. Yeah. Equipment is bad. Yeah, please, no stimulants, no caffeine. Just just raw as hell, huh? That's it. Adam, I love you. I love you. You know, <laughs> I love you, but I, I don't agree on that point. Um, a lot of people are really, um, when, when, when it comes to, to equipment, they are really like, yeah, if, if I use it, that's like cheating because it all depends on the equipment. And I really have to say, it doesn't. It just doesn't. Once you are with the equipment, you see what it does to you and how it helps to you, definitely. Yeah, and talking about something like a, weightlifting belt again for a squad um that's something it just helps you to build a better pressure and yes there are people who can build it without a belt but you can build it better with a belt and especially at that point where you don't have any bones to protect you at the lower spine i mean the upper part of the spine has the rib cage and really helping the the um the spine there, but at that point, the lower part of your spine is just hold by muscle. And you're just giving that part a little bit of more help by being able to brace better with a belt. And to me, that's not cheating. That's a little bit more of, I'm thinking of my own health at that point. I don't want to break my back because when I train, I do train heavy, my legs can move the weight and it's always the core that, that makes me an issue that's not able to hold it. And now you can definitely come up with the, with the thing, yeah, then you need to train your core and your core is just too weak to do so. And actually, I don't have a weak core. I don't. I can hold a dragon flag like, let's say, don't know, like two centimeters above the floor for easily 30 seconds, which is pretty much one of the harder exercises. I can do um, every rollouts and all that stuff. So the core is never strong enough. You learned that in our core episode, <laughs> but um, it's not like that you have a, a weak core and you can compensate that with a belt. The belt is just helping you to work the core better how do you think that how about that yeah i think like um there are two extremes 
like with everything, you have these people who are, you know, all against equipment and view it as cheating. And then you have the other side that's completely dependent on equipment. Yeah. And um, I think that the best thing you can do is probably be in the middle. Um, I'm a proponent of actually learning to lift without any equipment. So just learning and ingraining basic patterns, um, you know, without anything, without any help. Mm-hmm. Because especially for beginners, you know, learning how to brace can be really tough uh, with a belt at the start. So just starting it off without the belt, uh, knowing how to maintain this pressure in the abs. And, and then later, later on, um, once, you know, come into the intermediate phase, you can definitely start to add in some, some equipment. Um, but you kind of have to watch out on that, that uh, this equipment thing doesn't become a mind thing. Uh, up to a point, we're not able to do warm-up sets without equipment. And um, I know some people were like, they had these certain barriers um, after which they couldn't just do the squat uh, without any equipment because their mind was so, they, they were so dependent on the equipment, you know? Um, so yeah, basically learn the movement patterns without anything. Once you uh, are starting to get stronger and more into the intermediate phase, start adding stuff. But watch out that you don't get that get too dependent yeah. on it. Um, I think like if this can help you progress better, faster, and in a safer manner, why would you not use that advantage? You know, I wouldn't view it as a as a cheating thing. Um, let's say we have two lifters, and lifter A decides not to use any equipment and just stays, you know, with raw reps and equipment uh, lifter. <laughs> B, who is, uh, yeah, he brought the decision to use equipment as, at a certain point. He hit the double bodyweight squat and he now wants to use equipment. Um, I'm sure that lifter B would have an easier and a faster progression than lifter A. Let's say everything else around them, both their genetics, and how they train, how they eat, everything is the same. I would say that lifter B uh, would have a safer and an easier progression yeah. than lifter A. And let's say in six months, he's able to squat 200 and lifter A is able to squat 160. Uh, lifter B can lift more weight ultimately, but probably also without the equipment, he can lift more weight than lifter A, you know? Um, so it's not like equip- equipment gets you stronger in a cheating fashion where where you don't have any equipment, you're not strong anymore. You know, that strength definitely carry over also to raw reps. I think that's also important to note. Because the, the belt or the, the whole equipment is not like, yes, it, it, it is like you can lift more weight with it. Yeah, you sure can. You sure you can. Sure can. Sure you can. definitely can. But it doesn't mean that when you use it in training, you're not able to move anything without it. The thing with that is it just helps you being a little bit more safe in your lifts and um, to, to, you know, in the end, this gives you the opportunity to work the muscles harder while staying more stable. So in the end, a harder worked muscle in the end is stronger than a muscle that didn't got that much, or didn't get worked that hard. And this is all about how much mechanical pressure you're giving on it you know like like if you look at the quads in a in a in a squat 
when you give a lot of mechanical pressure on it, it will get stronger because it, it gets the stimulus you need to get stronger to move this weight easily. So the, the, the brain gives the order to the leg, get stronger. This is really told very easy, not, not going into this very, very deep, but um, this is actually what happens there. And when you have that stimulus on the leg, the leg can actually grow muscle, grow strength. And if you don't give a, such a high stimulus to it, it will just not grow as much as the one that got the stimulus. So you get just stronger by the, the more pressure that you have there. That's it. So th that's why I personally use some kind of equipment. I like to be safe when I lift. This is also for like wrist wraps and stuff like that. For squatting, I love to do to use it. It really saves my wrists. It's good to me. And the wrists are not the one, not not really something that I want to train with a squat, but it minimizes me on squatting because when I have 200 kg on my back, I'm squatting low bar. I have some of that pressure on my wrist. And this is just supporting me here and helping me to stay healthy. And that's a very important part to me, actually staying healthy in my life, you know? And this is why I actually like to use equipment for myself. I think you shouldn't depend on you on it, but to get stronger, to me, it's a good way to use it. So I think... In the end, this is very much about how you think of that. But I like to give that view to other people too. Because I, I absolutely accept if other people don't do it. But I actually expect from those people back that they also accept the way that I do it. Because I accept you, you got to accept me. That's it. That's, that's a good rule for life. <laughs> I think another one is if you, if you don't have to, to say any more about that topic. No, no, no. Okay. Then I think we can jump to just the next topic to wrap it up here. Um, squats will fuck up your back or fuck up your knees. Squats are bad for your health. Tell me about it. Explicit, explicit language, no? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Oh man, I experienced that firsthand uh, because I come from um, Croatia and, you know, people are so old school there. And basically everything that revolves around weight training is, yeah, you can injure yourself, it's bad for your health, it's bad for your back or the knees, whatever. So yeah, I've had a lot of confrontations and a lot of arguments when it comes to this topic. And I used to be scared myself because I didn't know, you know, is it really like that? Uh, but then once you get deeper into it, um, no, it, this movement pattern isn't necessarily bad. It, you won't get injured. The most important thing um, that you can do to manage that is just fatigue and load management, you know? Like, mm. of course, if you don't push it, if you stay patient and just 
progressively, really progressively overload, incrementally increasing, increasing the load over time, you'll be fine. Your back and the knees won't be destroyed. No? Yeah. If your, if your technique is good. Also, yeah, obviously, yeah, you want to have a good base of technical proficiency. That's, that, that's obvious, obviously the first step, you know? And then after that, you jump into the load and the fatigue management that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and this is all connected to all the other topics that you, that you talked previously, like really finding your own personal style, style of squatting and not forcing anything. So if high bar, upright, acid grass squat doesn't work, don't force it, you know? There's a bigger possibility for you to risk, risk something, squatting in a way that's not actually for you, then if you were to find an individual squad that's good for you. So this is also connected to this technical proficiency. So first off, find individual squads, gain technical proficiency in that, and over time, you know, just be patient with it, uh, manage the intensities and uh, your recovery, and you shouldn't worry about the back or the knees or any other structure that might be uh, loaded during the squat. What do you think about? It? I don't. I don't have anything to add on that. Just, just have have it so right. <laughs> All right. Um, I would like to to talk about uh, a cue that also comes up very often. Maybe like two cues, the classic ones. A squat is hips back. A squat is knees first. How do you think of that? Well, that's, that's a really tricky one, you know? Uh, obviously, for some people, those might be good cues if they struggle with, uh, you know, just using a certain region during the squat. Yeah. But for most people, I wouldn't say that these are necessarily good cues because when you look at the squat, you kind of want to break both at the hip and at the knee joint at the same time, you know, because... At that uh, position, you'll obviously have this evening out of um, hip dominance and knee dominance, and you'll be able to use um, the structures in a more efficient way. If you cue like something like hips back or knees first, that usually leads to extremes where people just overly force. Um, I wouldn't say one muscle group, but this one specific muscle group, for example, if you say to someone, knees first um they usually like uh really drive them far forward uh the quads get overloaded uh the squat the, the bar path just completely shifts forward you know yeah. people almost end up on their toes and that's simply not an efficient way to lift the load Absolutely. and then also the opposite you know with the hips back people sit far too back you know driving the bar path uh further back and um yeah then you have also the risk of falling backwards yeah. Um, so yeah, you have to be really, really careful with this and how much you dose it. When you apply it, um, I would usually say just break down at the hips and at the knees at the same time and try to find a nice balance between these two. Yeah, because especially with the hips back, I always see these classic, I call them the Instagram squats. <laughs> yeah. You see that with the, I, I don't want to be rude at that point, but you see it mostly with female influencers who are telling you, Yeah, do this do these squats to work your glutes. Booty squats, yeah. Yeah. And 
when you look at it from a biomechanical thing, that's exactly the way you don't work them. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm so sad about that because um, it's, I hate these squats. I hate that. I have to say it that way, really, because they have so many benefits of really getting you good legs, good, uh, really, really a good ass. And you're fucking it up by doing it like these influencers who just have that one given by mom and dad. <laughs> I have to say it that way. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, that, that were my two points uh, about my, my two cents about it. Um, uh, at that point, I would say the next topic should be something around the butt wing and knee cave as we already mentioned it very very often mm-hmm. now a butt wing is a bad thing a knee cave is a bad thing i wouldn't say so actually as to a certain degree a butt wing definitely is a problem but some kind of butt wing you will never completely be able to avoid, I would say. Um, that comes in the position that where you always have something like a butt wink. There will always be a little kind of movement because you have to, um, because that's your hip and it's just open that way and the femur has to, you know, it comes out here and you're starting off here, bringing the hip back and maybe that's the back, okay. That's a very big hip. <laughs> um, you come, you come down here, and you might have uh, might have the 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 the, the position, maybe at ninety degree or something, where you already have the knee very much forward. Where this kind of bone here has to come up here, and this will change the position in in the hip socket, and. It, so the hip socket probably moves with you when there's not enough space. That's completely normal. So there will always be a little bit of movement of the hip. And the most important part here is to understand that this movement is very natural and very normal. And in most cases, it's not a problem, but it can lead to a problem. And this is the difficulty that we have here. Because when it's too much, you definitely get a problem with the spine at that point. And when some more circumstances come in there, like you're sitting all day with a rounded back, like, I don't know, 12 hours a day because you're working so much in your office. I, I love you for working so much, but actually that's not the best thing to do for your health. And when you then load two hours of squatting onto that, again, into a very rounded position of your back this can actually lead to disc prolapse and that's that's the issue that we have and the disc prolapse at that point doesn't come from the squatting it comes from sitting so much and this is actually the the problem that we have that everybody demonizes so much this butt wink thing and all the other stuff the problem is we are so often in positions for such a long period of time and we both are having that position right now with a little bit of rounded back, probably sitting right here talking to you. 
because that that naturally happens because it's more comfortable comfortable to to sit like that that's normal it always happens to you and the issue comes more with that than there is actually a really difficult thing with the butt wing but on the other hand you also have evidence that shows the butt wing can get you into trouble so I would always say the butt wing is an issue at a at certain degree, but not. It's not like you have to demonize it. How do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's a really tricky topic, um, and my views have kind of shifted, especially in the last year. Um, like I used to think that butt wing is um, bad and that you should avoid it at all costs. And that if someone isn't able to do a squat without the butt wing, then they shouldn't do the squat and they should focus more on, for example, gaining more mobility in the ankle joint in order to, you know, be able to squat with a relatively stable pelvis. Um, but I think this shift uh, kind of happened both with the shift that I have with, um, yeah, the spine movement during the deadlift. Uh, also in the past, I thought that, you know, always this neutral spine position is the best one and uh, avoid flexion and any costs, you know? And then, um, you know, obviously you want to kind of develop and um, be up to date with everything that comes out. And it turns out that flexion itself isn't something, you know, that should be demonized, something that's necessarily bad. And I think uh, the same case is uh, for the butt wing. I think that, um, because of its past, you know, like how much yeah, people talk bad about it, bad about it. It's tough to get rid of this, uh, you know, this these thoughts because you have certain feelings towards it. Uh, but I would say that butt wink isn't something bad um, if you properly manage uh, how much you actually load the structure. Now, obviously, just as you noted, you have everyday activities that are connected to still loading um, the spine. And when you have something like weight training on top of that, you should be careful with how you do it, you know? Um, so I think the first step to kind of, you know, just avoiding injury with this movement pattern is just properly managing the load and being careful about that. Uh, but I wouldn't label it as something bad. Um, so I completely agree with your stance um yeah that's that's basically it i would say yeah. yeah pretty much maybe have to add up on that as long as the butt wing happens below 90 degree when sure. that comes when that comes up uh, com comes up on 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 the higher range of it on the first half of the movement or something then we definitely will have an issue there um when it comes lower than 90 degrees it may be a little bit less i don't want to say dangerous but for most people it's not that dangerous then and it is it's not like it, it, the topic is very difficult because you can't say it's bad but you can't say it's good that's the big problem at that point you know yeah like the most important thing that we can say it's it's normal, you know? It's normal for it to, to occur and it's okay if it occurs. Um, you, have to, you have to check out your setting 
um, and look at all the factors that are around you, you know. Obviously, if someone had a lower back injury in the past, you wouldn't load the squat uh, with them doing a butt wing, you know. Obviously not. If you have a professional athlete who wants to exceed in a sport, wants to lift heavy weights, and there is a certain amount of butt wing happening at the bottom, but the athlete feels perfectly fine with it, why the hell would you intervene? Just allow the athlete to squat, you know? That's it. I wouldn't like tell the athlete, hey, you have a butt wing, you're squatting 250 kg with a butt wing, and he feels good with it. And I'm here like telling him, do some mobility stuff, get rid of the squat, don't do squat for a, for a certain period of time. That would be a stupid decision. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally fine with that. Yeah. It's a very difficult one. It's a very difficult one. Very, very individual, I would say, yeah. What I can say for the knee cave, that's a little bit more easy, actually, because for the knee cave, I would say if it happens on both sides equally and you have a slight knee cave, there's no problem. Yeah. For my opinion. Oof, like the knee cave, um, it used to be something really scary for me. And anytime that I would see someone else do it or I myself during the squat, I would cringe like really bad. Like it would be oof, you know, avoided at any cost. Yeah. But then you realize, hey, it's normal. It's okay for it to happen. Just as you noted, if it happens in, at a certain dose, both legs, you'll be fine. That's just the way your body is kind of compensating and allowing you to use uh, your muscles in a more efficient way, I would say. Um, than just keeping, you know, the straight um, track of the knees above the toes. And I there's a reason. There's a reason why the body do, does it, no? Yeah. I have to say this is also depending on where the knee cape happens. Sure. Sure. Um, when, when the knee cape happens in the lowest position or the lower ones, um, below 90 degree especially, or around the 90 degree, that's something that's very normal. Because at that point, um, you have the adductors working yeah. and you have the adductor magnus working. And this one helps you out of the hole. But the when you look at it, when, when you have the, the adductors, these are your legs, they are on the inside of it. What they do is helping you out of the hole, but also pulling the legs together. That's what adductors do. And of course, when they are, you know, the muscle can only do one thing. It's contracting. And when they contract, they pull. Contracting is pulling. Yeah. And so that's naturally happening in the lower position of a squat. That's completely normal. The, the, the very important part right here is to say when it happens on the lower part of the squat and you are able to bring the knees backward, back out, and you're good to go. You see that with all the good squatters, all the Olympic weightlifters, all the good squatters, everyone, when you squat heavy and you try to get out of the hole, most of the time, you definitely have a slight knee cave on both sides. That's very important. It must be on both sides. If this is just on one knee, there might be a dis functional thing there that we definitely have to work on but if if it happens on both both knees to the same degree you're probably good to go 
Now comes the stuff with one leg. If you have that issue with only one leg, you probably have a disbalance. And then we definitely need to work on that because this over time can lead really to not only to knee problems, but most of the time it is uh, something that may lead to uh, a hip problem, to a little hip shift in the squat, which will load the spine from one side a little bit more. So in the end, this, this very often leads to an injury and to pain. It, all of that is always correctable. So that it's not like, oh, you have that, you, 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 you can never train again. You can definitely correct that. It's pretty much just like a half a year of work or maybe a year of work to correct that. But um, it's very needed to correct it. If you want to stay safe with that and really train for the next 20 years, which we all want. And that's, that's my two cents for the knee cave. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, what do you think about the classic foot forward? You have to have the foot forward. You're not allowed to bring them out when you squat. Yeah. Um, placing the feet parallel uh, can actually be a really nice way to... Um, introduce glute involvement even more for certain people like like i experienced that for myself like as soon as i internally rotate my feet a bit more and have them parallel i'm just able to use the glute more i just feel it you know and my squat my squat is stronger but when i look at the health side of things um and how i feel it's just not as natural of a position for me as having the feet slightly turned more to the outside uh, simply because of the way my hips are built, you know. So your uh, your feet placement is going to depend a lot on how your fit, hips are simply built, you know, and how the femur head just sits in the hip. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the hip. Um, so yeah, this thing can be applicable to some people to introduce more glutes involvement. Generally, have uh, thus a stronger squat. But if from a health standpoint and biomechanical standpoint, this just isn't, isn't doable for you, then just don't do it, you know? Mm. Uh, some people just won't be able to even pass to 90 degrees because, yeah, they're not built for it. So this is an individual thing that you have to find out for yourself and kind of experiment with. Yeah. yeah. This is, once again, when you, when you look at the femur and the hip, how the hip socket is open. Yeah. You can think of it like, how can we say that? This is like an open hole where the bone sticks in there. And when it when it happens like, okay, it, it sticks in there. And maybe this is open for one side a little bit more, then you can move there a little bit better. And that that's actually the thing why this is so individual, because that's, that's small little details that are different with every single individual person in the world you can't say this is you're built like a machine you gotta squat with uh, feet forward and you can also not say you gotta squat with feet out it's it really depends on the individual at that point how you place your foot so that's that's something we definitely need to consider here this is not bad or good 
This is just different. <laughs> oh, yes. But now that we had the foot and the knee, Rado, the best topic in the world. Knees over toes. Oh, it's such an old school one. I think that pretty much everyone, hopefully pretty much everyone knows that it's not bad if your knees pass your toes. You know, your knees won't explode. You don't have the most pressure in that position. Um, so don't be afraid to have this movement. You know, if your if your mobility allows you to do so, and, and if your squat style is like that, don't restrict yourself from that. You know, just keep on doing it. And I, I think I think it's not needed to go any deeper in that topic uh, because you know I think a lot of people already kind of are aware of that. What do you think? It's it's a little bit difficult because you still hear, especially for the beginners, very often, and very often is this classic low license trainer in some kind of very cheap gyms, um, which are coming up with that to the clients. Like the classic McFit trainers are like that. Oh, don't bring your knees over the toes. Mm. But how? How do I walk up uh, some stairs? Take the elevator. <laughs> no, it's something bringing the toes, uh, the knees over the toes is something so natural. I wouldn't even think of making this an issue. This is stupid. Um, the, the, you know, this is all based on one study which they did with people who already had knee injuries. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it made it worse. Yeah, of course, because they had a knee injury. And now you're, you're just bringing them into an uncomfortable uh, position for the knee. Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> Gotta say it that way. Yeah? Um, is this, when, when you look at it from, from that way, there are several um, studies to that thing, which already brought up the, the um, information for it's no problem at all. And you can easily look that up. Yeah. If you put it on Google, look it up, read it yourself. Yeah, that, that's, that's a big issue that we have here. Most people don't really Google for real studies. I'm not talking about an article. I'm talking about the real study. Check it out, read it. You will see there's no issue with that. That's an easy one. We can go to, I think, the last myth that we have here. I think that's your your thing. Yeah, it's my thing. I do. And I still kind of do see lots of people um, do that. I don't know where that stems from. Uh, but for me, I just, I don't know if I've watched a tutorial or something. But when I squatted in the past, like, I was really forcing myself to grab the barbell as narrow as possible because I thought that this will automatically bring in a lot of upper body tension and um, I just simply won't have to, uh, you know, consciously think about it. And just by grabbing it that way, I automatically tackle that thing and I can just focus on the squat itself. Uh, what I did not realize is that this position simply isn't uh, just natural for me it isn't good and that actually interfered with my squatting style 
not allowing me to really kind of express myself in this broad fluidity. Um, so I would say like, don't force yourself to grab too narrow, don't force yourself to grab too wide. How wide you grab the barbell is, again, a really individual thing, just as with everything um, with the spot that's related to the spot. Um, so yeah, just kind of try to sway away from that, especially from the extremes and experiment for yourself what's, what feels best and what allows you to, you know, lift the highest amount of load with the safest, uh, in the safest possible way. There's nothing to add from my point. All right. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. And also for those who are watching this on YouTube, thank you guys for taking, for giving us your time. I hope this one helped you a lot. And um, you may let us know if you have any more myths that come up um, with training. We're, uh, we, we, we just love the, to, to bust some myths. And if you have some more that we need to talk about, let us know. We're going to have some, some, some upcoming um, episodes about that topic if you want us to do so. Um, so bring, bring some, some good topics into, into the comment section. We love to, to hear about it. Um, yes, if you need any help with your squatting, then feel free to hit us up on uh, our website, bar-bellcoaching.de slash links. Um, the link is also usually in um, somewhere down, down here, whatever it is on YouTube or wherever you are watching this, we, we have the links there. You can check it out and just uh, contact us for a good slot of our coaching. So if you need any help there, feel free to contact us. Um, we love to have you on the next episode. Hope this one helped you a lot. And um, if you are new to our podcast, because this one is YouTube, we also have a lot of other episodes on all the other platforms. We're just new to YouTube. So please do us the favor, like, share, and subscribe this one. Give us the favor uh, and help us to spread some more information about the whole world of calisthenics uh, out there. And um, help as many people as possible thank you so much for listening and watching have a good time and i think the last words are coming from rado if you have any no take care and peace see you next time goodbye bye bye